This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. Here is the lead from an AP story. More than 150 Catholic priests and others associated with the Archdiocese of Baltimore sexually abused over 600 children and often escaped accountability, according to a long-awaited state report released Wednesday that revealed the scope of abuse spanning 80 years and accused church leaders of decades of cover-ups. That's only the latest in a story that has been in the press for over 20 years. Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion, author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate, and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. This Baltimore report that came out during Holy Week is a horrifying Catholic story. What else is important about it? Well, I think you first have to start off by saying, what is it that makes the Catholic story of sex abuse so unique and something that the press keeps coming back to it over and over? And simply stated, that keeps happening because of the high profile of the Roman Catholic Church in the media capitals of the Northeast in particular, and because it is the largest church in the United States. And then you have the yeah, kind of the strange fact that Catholic priests photograph well, and television and newspapers, they like people that look religious if you're going to have a scandal. I mean, the Southern Baptist Convention has received quite a bit of coverage for issues related to sexual abuse, but nothing that can compare to the Roman Catholic situation. But looming behind all that, and I think this is a very important thing that we come back to this toward the end, all of that is overshadowed by the mystery, which is how much sexual abuse actually takes place in public schools, public sports networks, and similar networks. Because this tends to come up not just in a matter of media bias against religious groups, but it also tends to come up with the fact that these groups tend to be very politically well-connected. I mean, the Democratic Party and teachers' unions are literally wedded at the hip in the case of the current White House. I want listeners to say that the details of the Roman Catholic abuse scandal, which you said two decades ago you were referring to Boston and to the cases that were discussed in the, the Academy Award-winning movie Spotlight. Richard Osling, the patriarch of Get Religion, sent me a note the other day and said, you know, we really do need to remember that the public focus on sexual abuse in the Catholic Church begins with a trial in 1984 in Louisiana with the trial of Gilbert Goth, which means the scandal for him was before that. I first heard about reports of sexual abuse in the Catholic context and stuff, and people discussing it and wondering how big a story it would be. When I arrived on the religion beat in about 1982 
81, 82. We were already hearing about it. So it's important for listeners to realize that this is a story that is four decades old. Did I do the math right on that? Yeah, I think I did. Is it four or five? Anyway, you get my point. 1984. So what's different about this Baltimore case is that sexual abuse scandals in the Southern Baptist Convention and in some other settings have occurred and have received coverage. There should be journalists at this point who are beginning to challenge their assumption that the sexual abuse of children, teenagers, and adults is a uniquely Roman Catholic situation. But there are signs in the coverage of this Baltimore report that the press hasn't started thinking about yet. And we also see that in coverage of the Maryland law to extend the statute of limitations to, for civil cases to an unlimited degree, basically saying that there's no ceiling on how long someone can go. Now, I want listeners to understand, I am not in any way saying that the Roman Catholic Church should be let off for the absolutely horrid, hellish abuse that took place within its system. If anything, I'm suggesting that journalists need to dig deeper and be more fierce in coverage of child sexual abuse and look at a picture that's bigger than the Catholic Church. But that in no way means that I think the Catholic Church should be immune from coverage. And by the way, I think Spotlight is one of the two or three best movies I've seen in my life about journalism, way better than All the President's Men, for example. So I just want listeners to realize that I'm here calling for our churches and religious groups and secular civic groups to think seriously about the sexual abuse of children, teens, and adults, and think about what we need to do to cut into this terrible wave, this horrible decades of sin and crime that we've been seeing. So you mentioned the Maryland law. What exactly is it? And am I correct that the bishops there in Maryland, which are referred to by the press as the, what did they call it, the lobbying arm of the Roman Catholic Church or something like that, oppose, yeah, in Maryland. Uh, oppose this proposed law. What is the law? Okay, well, first of all, I think it's important for people to realize that the Catholic Conference of Maryland endorsed this law until some additional details were added toward the end of the process, and then in the end, they rejected it. And in the New York Times story, there's a, a crucial passage. Let's see if I can find it here. The state's Catholic conference, the lobbying arm for the church, has opposed the bill calling it unconstitutional and unfair. Period. That's all they say. Well, you should be thinking, okay, why did they oppose it? And I frankly think you should have said, that the Catholic Conference backed the law until some specific features were added to it. And the, the crucial thing that happened, and remember this is civil trials, not criminal trials. There's no statutes of limitation on criminal trials, but there's a higher standard for proof, evidence, etc. 
in criminal trials than in civil trials. And the main reason that the Catholic Conference opposed the law is the legislation caps judgments against public schools and public institutions at $890,000 while making it possible to sue private institutions and thus the Catholic Church and all religious organizations for $1.5 million. And if you say, well, wouldn't the state, wouldn't the state institutions actually have more money, you know, than in some cases smallish religious denominations that might get caught up in these things, or Catholic churches, which are in some cases in the Northeast are not in good financial shape? Well, yeah, that's true. And you ended up with one, this is in a publication called the Catholic Review, a Republican who represents Baltimore and Carroll counties was the only member of the Senate committee to vote against the bill. Chris West gives a very interesting institution. It's a hypothetical case. What if you had two 11-year-old girls who suffered identical abuse, one at a Catholic school and the other at a public school on the other end of the street? The case basically says the Catholic crime is almost twice as bad as the public school's crime. And if I spent some time today trying to discover how much sexual abuse is there in public schools. And the simple fact of the matter is we don't know. But there have been a few studies of the situation, and a professor at Hofstra University put out a report estimating that physical abuse slash sexual abuse in public schools is 100 times larger than the statistics for abuse committed by Catholic priests. And what I would suggest to our listeners when they're reading about the Baltimore case, and once again, the report is terrible, it's hellish, the church deserves to get the negative attention it's getting. And we can discuss some of the the details that have received national attention. This is nothing about saying the Catholic Church doesn't need justice in this case. The question is, why isn't the press interested or as interested in sexual abuse of children, teens, and adults in other churches, other private institutions, the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts leaps to mind, that's received a little bit of coverage, but above all, public schools. And I went looking, and in coverage of the Maryland report, I couldn't find a single mainstream story that included any reference to sexual abuse in a public school or a civic or secular context. You would get the impression, if you read the New York Times, the Associated Press, etc., that this is a phenomena in the Catholic Church, period. And that simply isn't true. So if we need justice in the Catholic Church, and believe me, we do, we need it in other settings as well. And I think it's good to ask why the press 
isn't as interested in that, and why legislators would put in a bill. I mean, they had a chance to pass this bill with the full, complete support of the Roman Catholic Church in Maryland. All they had to do was make the bill apply equally to public institutions as well as to private and religious. So it'd be very interesting to do a story on how this clause got added to the bill and why. So, Terry, how did this additional change in the Maryland law get added? Why are reporters not asking why are religious or private institutions liable for greater penalties than public ones? I asked that question to editors at the Rocky Mountain News years ago, back in the 80s when I was there. And they said, first of all, the public school stuff is handled by different laws and that the legislature had in some cases, and this probably varies from state to state, had actually exempted public institutions from some of the watchdog methods you know, that would go on with private institutions. So I think the safest answer is to say we don't know why, but we could say that the unique public standing, moral standing and image of the Catholic Church, thus to use the C.S. Lewis image, the higher the angel, the lower the demon when it falls. When you read some of the details of these sexual abuse cases, Demonic is a weak word that comes to mind. I would recommend to anyone who's interested a book I've recommended before, even though I admit that it is so searing and blunt, I've never been able to get all the way through all 700 pages of it. And the book is called Sacrilege, Sexual Abuse in the Catholic Church. And what's really interesting about this, it's written by a conservative, Leon J. Podels, who is a Catholic scholar, but also was a criminal investigator, I believe for the U.S. Justice Department, early in his career. The book is stunningly researched and footnoted, at least 100 pages of footnotes. And there's parts of it that, that you literally can't read. Now, that's horrible, that's terrible, but similar things have happened in other places. Now, they may not have been linked to being able to manipulate children during confession, a unique ecclesiastical sin and crime. There are other things that are unique about the Catholic Church, such as celibacy. But if you look at the three levels of crimes that are in these cases, which would be pedophilia, prepubescent children being abused, aphebophilia, which essentially is teenagers being abused, and then the abuse of adults. You will find all three of these present in other scandals, in other private institutions, as well as public institutions. So I don't have an answer to your question, but I think something about media bias that, you know, these religious people, and especially those Catholics, are really weird, got all those funny clothes and the nuns walking around and all that. There 
is an image maybe that the Catholic Church should be held to a higher standard, and I quite frankly am kind of comfortable with churches being held to a higher standard. But I don't want public institutions legally held to a lower standard because a crime is a crime. And what this whole thing is about is the Catholic Church trying to get itself to face the fact that they're going to need to report crimes to the public officials. And the same thing, we see the same pattern in the Southern Baptist Convention, and we see it in other places. What's amazing is that we see the same issues being debated in public institutions as well. What other coverage is worth noting here? Well, I, I think if you want to look at this, we have Catholic listeners, but we have many, many more people who are not Catholic leaders. I think those listeners should be thinking to themselves, what about my church? What about my institutions? Why is this relevant? We don't have celibacy, so we don't have any problems. Well, yes, you do have problems. And the things that we see over and over, all institutions have buddy systems and networks. And in particular in religious institutions, these networks and C.S. Lewis would call them inner rings, these circles of power. And then when people start getting promoted, they pull their cronies and their buddies up with them. And if something bad happens, there's a strong tendency there to want to protect your buddies, especially if your buddies might know something bad about you. And that's one of the things we see in the Catholic cases, but we see it elsewhere. What is the role of what amounts to ecclesiastical blackmail? And the same thing happens in the Boy Scouts. The same thing happens in other public institutions. I think seminaries are a story here. Someone needs to be writing stories about how all seminaries are dealing with the potential sexual abuse that comes through the unique powers, skills, and pieces of the job description for clergy. And in particular, I know this because of having a strong connection to one of the founders of the pastoral care and pastoral counseling movement in the United States, one of my mentors, the late Vernon Grounds. Protestants really need to be asking why so many cases of abuse of women and abuse of married women and sexual affairs and things that are inappropriate as job activities but are also crimes in some cases. Why does so much of this occur in the context of two things? Pastoral counseling and the other obviously would be youth work, youth organizations. That's something that all denominations need to be thinking about and they need to be talking about it in their seminaries and publicly. The Southern Baptist Convention, if you look at what's happened there, you'll see it there obviously, but the Southern Baptists are not uniquely at fault. Everybody faces this issue, all private schools, all private institutions, and obviously apparently some public institutions. How do you mandate reporting 
directly to public officials when there are allegations of crime. And how do you do that without violating the rights of the accused? We frequently in Catholic settings and in Baptist settings, have they're fighting in the Southern Baptist Convention about this, even as we speak. If someone is accused, do you automatically have to make the accusation public? And do they need to be punished because they've been accused? Or is there some way to make sure that it goes to the proper legal, criminal authorities, and then if they are charged with a crime, sure, at that point, you say so-and-so, so-and-so will be tried for the following allegations. But that's something that all churches need to think about as well. I think there's another thing that people need to think about. Early in the Catholic scandals, there were many allegations that Catholic church officials were being protected. This is a part of the Baltimore story. So the Catholic church is, was so politically powerful in the state of Maryland. But I think the protection that public officials used to give to religious groups is being worn off by our nation's incredible secular versus religious divide at the heart of many of our political issues, moral issues, cultural issues, etc. The, the loss of this prestige and there's no other word for it, but lofty, this lofty view of religion. My column this week is totally about a completely different subject, but one of the things that comes up in it, it's about declining a church attendance and what's causing it. And one of the things that a Protestant think tank found is that People no longer believe they have to have any connection to a church to be respected in their business, legal, and government, and civic communities. It's no longer, in some parts of America, positive to be a religious person. It may get you challenged at work in ways that others wouldn't be challenged. So all religious groups need to stop and think well, if we're more vulnerable, and if people are more likely to come after us now than they used to, don't we need to anticipate that? Don't we need, instead of trying to hide from these things, don't we have an even stronger incentive beyond justice and theology and sin and ethics? Don't we have an even stronger incentive to try to get our act together and Make sure that our pastors and our, the leaders of our congregations know what the laws are and how we're supposed to live within them. How is the Catholic press covering all of this? Well, obviously you're going to get the Catholic Church's side of the story in Catholic press more often. You're going to find summaries of how things have improved, and it's true. It is statistically true that the situation has improved in the Catholic Church in terms of the levels of abuse. In fact, one of the most hopeful things in the current report out of Baltimore is the fact that at this point in time, almost all of the abusers and the people who concealed their abuse, all of them are dead. They're gone. We've moved that far down the road. So. 
you're going to get more coverage of what Catholics have done. And within that, you're going to find out where the problems still exist. I think another factor here that I think is perfectly valid to ask about is to what degree has the extreme shortage of Catholic clergy, how did that affect the scandal over the past four decades? In addition to not wanting to turn in their buddies, their seminary classmates, their seminary students, etc., to what degree were bishops simply saying, well, you know, yeah, he abused a teenager, he abused a teenage boy, he abused a teenage girl. Maybe we can handle that with counseling. But if it was really pedophilia, that would automatically be bad. Although, i got to stress, there are all kinds of cases of people hiding actual diagnosed pedophilia. But aphibophilia, the abuse of teenagers, is a much bigger issue, especially the, the Catholic priest abusing teenaged boys sexually. That's statistically the big story here. Now, is that the case in Protestant organizations? No, it's not. Not to the same degree. But you will find abuse of both males and females by male clergy in all church traditions, including evangelical Protestantism. With about a minute here, is <coughs> Is there another Theodore McCarrick hiding out there someplace, notoriously enabling and perhaps covering up currently? I would say that if there is one, it's much more likely to happen in a European context than in an American context right now. And you see all of these stories about how corrupt some of the systems are in Rome and just the fact that you have so many high officials this leads me to one final point I'll make to our listeners. Read the coverage. This is something the Catholic press has noted. And I haven't seen the secular yet. All of these new Catholic guidelines and laws for how these cases are supposed to be handled, they're still exempting the bishops. And the reason is because bishops are supposed to be, like Ted McCarrick, bishops are supposed to be tried and punished by Rome. So I think to some degree, people have to look at the issue now of when will there be justice for bishops? And will Rome be willing to do that? Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, thank you very much. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.